Good to see you here this morning. Thank you, worship team. Never get tired of the presence of God, do you? Hallelujah. We're going to be over in uh, two places in Scripture. We're going to be first off over in Romans, the fourth chapter. Romans chapter 4. And in 2 Kings chapter 3. Romans chapter 4. And 2 Kings chapter 3. One of the, as we're in this series, is faith past, present, or future. Is it that we were healed, that we are healed, or that we will be healed? Things along those those lines. One of the scriptures that's come up, been asked about, is what um, is in Romans 4, when he talks about calling those things that be not as though they were. What does it mean to call things that be not or that are not in existence as though they were in existence? What does that mean? We've seen a lot of people do things in that area, but is it what the biblical pattern is? Because understand, whatever the Bible teaches us to do, he also gives us a pattern to follow so that we know how to accomplish it, how to, how to go about it. So we're going to be over in Romans chapter 4, verse 16 to begin with. Last week we were looking at the woman with the issue of blood. <clears throat> we saw that her past was something she could build faith on when she heard about Jesus. The enemy wants your past to hold you back. God wants your past to propel you forward. Your present is merely temporary. She looked at her present situation, but she saw it as temporary. We have to look at whatever it is that we're going through now as temporary. Nothing's permanent. The enemy wants you to see your, your, your present as permanent. This is the way it's always going to be. If you're depressed, you always will be depressed. If you're sick, you always will be sick. If you're sore, you always will be sore. If you're in pain, you always will be in pain. If you're defeated, you always will be defeated. He wants you to think that your situation is permanent. God wants you to see it's merely temporary. Because even the things that He leads you into, He's going to lead you on into something else. Israel was once in Egypt, but that was temporary. They then went into the wilderness. Had great victories in the wilderness, but that was temporary. Then they went on into the promised land. This is where God was taking them. But even there, God was having different stages of things for them to do. Your future hope should be from the Word and it should be seen by you as certain. No matter what you see or what you feel in your present. But here in verse 16 of Romans chapter 4, Therefore it is of faith that it might be according to the grace so that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations in the presence of him whom he believed, God who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. Now the previous verses, we're seeing it's not of law. He was building the case. It's not of law. It's not of works. But by faith that Abraham was saved. It's by faith. So we have to look at the faith of Abraham in order for us to understand the faith of God. So when, um, where do we leave off at? Verse 17. Who contrary to hope, in hope believed, so that he became the father of many nations, according to what was spoken, so shall your descendants be. And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead, since he was 
about a hundred years old and in the deadness of Sarah's womb. See, that's his present condition. His present condition is his body is dead. His present condition is his wife's body is dead. That was the present. But he had to see that as temporary. This was going to change. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. And being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was also able to perform, and therefore was accounted to him for righteousness. So God gave a promise. His past was, you guys haven't been able to have any babies. That was the past. The enemy wants to say this this condition is permanent. And got them to move into the area with Hagar, because in order for us to change it, I can't change my situation. My situation is permanent. We will always be dead as far as giving birth to the children. So we had to go into a different way. So the devil was able to lead them into a, a way that brought problems for them later on. But God says, no, that's not it. One from your body, you and Sarah, you two are going to have a baby. And that's the one that's going to be the child of promise. What they produced was a child of flesh. And that was Ishmael. And God said, I'll still make of him a great nation. But that's not the promise. That's not the one. See, they had a past. And that past took them in the wrong direction. God wanted them to, the past that they had, to take them in another direction. Where God showed them, I've blessed you. Where God showed them, I've delivered you. Where God showed them, I've shown up, I've done all sorts of things for you. Look at the things that I have done in your life. You're now the richest person around. But he kept going back to the past that he was, his body was dead. But he finally got to that spot where he did not consider. And here in Romans, all it says is that he did not consider. We know from the story that he did consider it for a while. But Paul, when he retells it here, he says he didn't consider it. He's talking about the time he got in faith. When he got in faith, he didn't consider his body what was going on. That was the past. This is the present condition might be that my body is dead, but that's not how it's going to stay. And then he used God as the example here in verse 17. I have made you a father of many nations in the presence of him whom he believed. God, who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. Now that's what we have to get after. But what does this mean? How did God call those things that did not exist as though they did exist? Weiss puts it this way. calls these the things that are not in existence as being in existence. And one of the first examples of this that we see, not the first example of course, God had done this before, but the first example that we see is back in the book of Genesis when God created the heavens and the earth. Now in the beginning it just said God created the heavens and the earth. But then later on, this is not the creation account. I mean, people call it the creation account, but it's actually reforming the earth that is already here. He already created it all. He already created the sun. He already created the stars. He already created the moon. All those things were already created. When it says in the Word of God, let there be light, that is not the word for create. They had already been created, and if we we spent some time with it, I would show you, I proved you in Scripture, the sun was already in existence by the time God said, let there be light. The Word of God proves it. There's no, no doubt about it. Um, it, it. The people want to say that God said, let there be light, and suddenly He made a sun. That's not how it went. And then, of course, you have those nutty Christians that are out there trying to say that God created the, earth, the whole world in six literal days. One day He did this, another day He did that. Now, I'm not saying that God can't do that, but that God has not shown that's how He does it. 
And God could do it anyway. He could take millions of years to create it. He could do it in a, in a thousand years. He could do it in a year. He could do it in a, in a couple of days. He could do it any way that He wants to. But people, they put God into a box and they restrict it. When He said, let there be light, He declared it in the darkness. Remember in the beginning of the book of Genesis, the Spirit of God hovered over the surface of the deep. There was darkness on the, on the earth. And the Word of God actually says that the earth was formless and void. We've told you before that word was can mean either was or became. In the Hebrew, it depends on the context. Well, we learned from the book of Isaiah that God did not create the earth formless and void. uses that exact same phrase. If God didn't create it, then we know that in Genesis it says, and the earth became formless and void. Now, if you're going back to all of Scripture, you can find out that God had judged the earth before Adam and Eve were ever here. And that there was a race of people on this earth before Adam and Eve ever showed up. That race of people was brought into judgment when Satan fell. Remember it says when Satan fell that he came to the earth and brought the nations into judgment? Well, if when he fell he brought the nations into judgment, how could he have done that if uh, Adam and Eve birthed all the nations? Because he was already fallen at that point, wasn't he? No, when he says he came upon the surface of the deep, that means there was water on the face of the earth. And of course God separated the land from the, the water. Do you know you cannot have water on the surface of a planet unless you have a sun? By the laws of the universe that God put in operation, you cannot have water on a planet without a sun. It requires the sun to keep the water in the small, by universe standards, the small range of temperature that keeps it liquid. Because if it's too cold, water turns to ice. If it's too hot, it turns to vapor. So in order for you to have water on the face of the earth, it has to operate within a, you know, 32 degrees would be your, your freezing point for most water. Sea water, of course, would freeze a little bit lower than that. And then I think, what is it, 220 for, for boiling water? And then it goes into steam. So you have to keep the earth between 220 degrees and 32 degrees Fahrenheit. That's impossible to do without something to warm it. Because if you just go to the backside of the moon, it doesn't get the sun. How cold is it there? Now, it has a sun in the area, but it, it, it gets way below 32 degrees. The only possible way that you can have water on the face of the earth is if there's already a sun. And if you didn't have a sun and you, the earth was not in an orbit around the sun, you wouldn't have gravity. And if you don't have gravity, then water wouldn't be on the face of the earth, would it? It would float away. So it's not possible for there to be creation in the six days of creation as it is spelled out. And that's why the Hebrew never uses the word for creation because the Hebrew has two words for creation, asa and bara. One means to create out of nothing. One means to create out of something. Man's spirit was created out of nothing. Man's body was created out of something. He was formed out of the earth. He was made out of the dust of the earth. But God took something and made it into something else. But when he made his spirit, he made it out of nothing. And he uses the Hebrew word to create out of nothing. When God created the universe, he created out of nothing. He just created it. He spoke it. But let's go back to that uh, scripture in Genesis, just looking at just briefly the, the first time. When he said, let there be light, there was no light on the face of the earth. He said, let there be light. And in the darkness came the light. Now you see, he had judged the earth and there was a, a law in operation that light could not penetrate the earth. The heat did, but the light did not. So all forms of life on the earth died. Whether in the sea, whether in plant, whatever it was, the entire earth was judged and, and died. Now, if you go over to Second Peter, Second Peter talks about a flood, the flood that then that uh, destroyed the earth that then was. It's his, his phraseology. He says the flood that destroyed the world that then was. Noah's flood did not destroy the world. It killed the people. 
but it didn't destroy the world. The mountains were still intact. They didn't take any trees or flowers on board. They all, they all went on. They didn't take any fish on board. They just took the ones that breathed. And we could spend more time on that. And you can find out from history, you know, from uh, the Word of God, how God brought about the flood. But that's it, not important for us here. Just understand the Word of God gives us these things. People come out with these simple meanings because they don't want to spend time reading the Scriptures and studying the thing. But God gives us an opportunity. Peter's flood that he refers to is not Noah's flood. And if you wonder why God gave Noah a sign, here's a rainbow, I'm never going to flood the earth again. It's because when he walked with Adam, he told Adam about all these things. He told him about the nation, the people that was here, and how he brought them into judgment, and how he brought a flood that covered the entire earth. And that Adam, even though there's been many, uh, many, many years between Adam and Noah, uh, I believe it's almost like a grandfather situation where Adam only uh, perished a little while before someone else perished who knew uh, Noah personally. So the stories were not passed down for many, many, many generations. They almost got it, uh, uh, almost like a grandfather would, would tell a story to, to Noah. That's how, how soon he heard of it. So when God comes and says, I'm not going to do this again, it's because he had, they heard, you just did this. You just judged the earth with water. And now you judged it again with water. And God says, look, I'm not going to judge it again with water. And we all know from the Word of God, when He judges it again, it's going to be done by fire. fire. You're going to burn it up. Start all new again. I heard one person, they talk about, there's no, there's no global warming with God. <laughs> it's called global melting. <laughs> He's going to melt it all. And start it all over again. No more sin. The problem that sin has caused in creation is all going to be wiped out and he's going to start it all over again. And we're told some of the characteristics of the new earth that will come along. I'm disappointed at some of them, but I'm sure when it finally gets here, it will be, it'll look good. Because one of the things that God says is no oceans. I love oceans. They're one of my favorite things of all God's creation is the ocean. And God says there's no oceans. There's only water coming out of the new Jerusalem. Or out of Jerusalem. That's it. And it's fresh water. And um, that's all the water is going to be needed. And we'll have a sun, but we won't need it for light because Jesus is our light. No more daylight saving time. Be daylight all the time. Glory to God. So anyway, that's, that's just what he did. When he said, let there be light, he spoke something into existence as though that it was, even though it wasn't. So there was no light. He said, let there be light. There was no land. He said, let the waters part and separate the land from the waters. He talked about the lesser light to govern the night. That's not creating the moon. That's again allowing the light that is there to come through. So anyway, we could spend time on that. We're not here to do that here this morning. But let's go on over to a story where we see some of this going on. Second Kings chapter 3. In Second Kings, the third chapter. We've covered this story a few times. Not a whole lot. It's been a number of years since we've gone over it, but I'm sure that you will, if you've been around here a while, you'll remember some of these things. Now Jehoram, the son of Ahab, became king over Israel. Israel's is the northern tribe. Israel has already separated from Judah. And Israel never has a good king. Never one time did they have a good king. So if you see someone, they're called the king of the northern tribes of Israel, you know, bad king. Now Jehoram, the son of Ahab, became king over Israel at Samaria in the 18th year of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, and he reigned 12 years. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord, but not like his father and mother, for he put away the sacred pillar of Baal that his father had made. Remember Ahab and his, his wife Jezebel? They were big Baal worshippers. 
and Asherah. We've uh, talked about them in the past, what that worship involved. But he put the, the pillar of Baal away that his father had made. Nevertheless, he persisted in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Naboth, who had made Israel sin. He did not depart from them. That was a perverted worship of God. As with the golden calves, as with holidays that they made up of their own, and people who are priests under God, who uh, came from any tribe at all. And he perverted the things of God. And though they still said they were worshiping God, they were not worshiping the way that God said to do it. So that is Jehoram. Now, you don't get this confused because there is also a king in the south, king of Judah, whose name is also Jehoram, right around the same time frame. This is because Jehoshaphat and Ahab were uh, entered into treaties. Jehoshaphat shouldn't have done it. Ahab was an ungodly king and he kept entering into treaties. One of those treaties was they took the one son and one daughter and they married them. And that created all kinds of problems for them. But um, that's what they did. He's not supposed to be doing that. Jehoshaphat had a lot of good things going on. He was a good king. But um, he did some of the worst mistakes in, this, in the scriptures were, were done by Jehoshaphat. And we don't have time to get into all those. We're not here to talk about Jehoshaphat's life. Let's go on here, verse 4. Now, Mesha, king of Moab, was a sheep breeder, and he regularly paid the king of Israel 100,000 lambs and the wool of 100,000 rams. But it happened when Ahab died that the king of Moab rebelled against the king of Israel. So King Jehoram went out of Samaria at that time and mustered all Israel. Now, before Ahab was King Omri. These were very strong kings. They had very strong armies. And they went about and they conquered. And they conquered Moab. And so they made Moab pay them this, this tribute. And Omni was a strong king. And he's the one who started it. So they continued to pay during the days of Omni. Ahab came up. He was another strong king. And they didn't rebel against him because they knew they'd be in trouble. But when his son took the throne, they saw him as being a weaker king. And so they said, this is our time to rebel. And so they rebelled. And they said, we're not going to pay you that money anymore. So after that, he went, Jehoram is the he here. Then he went and sent to Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, saying, The king of Moab has rebelled against me. Will you go up with me to fight against Moab? And he said, I will go up. I am as you are. My people as your people and my horses as your horses. Should he say that? This is an unsaved, unregenerate uh, person. Maybe he says he worshiped God. But we know that he's doing it in a perverted way, not the way that God said. He's not following after the laws of God. He should not have this union with the king of of Israel. But he does. If you wonder why in the world would they want to do this, they're not getting any of the of the tribute money. So why would they do it? And it would seem that a weakened Moab would benefit Judah. Remember, Jehoshaphat had some battles that he had with, with Moab. And so joining forces with somebody else to come against them, he may solve that as some benefit for his country. Verse 8, Then he said, Which way shall we go up? And he answered, By way of the wilderness of Edom. So the king of Israel went with the king of Judah and the king of Edom, and they marched on a roundabout route seven days, and there was no water for the army nor for the animals that followed them. And the king of Israel said, Alas, for the Lord has called these three kings together to deliver them into the hand of Moab. So they said, Which way should we go? How should we go to to fight? How should we take all of our armies and how should we go? They don't ask God. They ask each other. Which way do you think you're going to go? I don't know. I'd like, I'd like to go this way. 
Have you ever gone to go to a place and you're going to go with somebody and you say, how would you like to go? Well, I like to go this way. Well, I don't like to go that way. I like to go this way. Oh, I don't like that way. And you know, you're kind of, you're talking amongst, amongst yourselves as to which way that you should go. Maybe sometimes, you know, you punch into Google. And you say, Google, which way should I go? And then Google comes up with, with a way. Has Google ever given you a way you didn't like? Yeah. Yeah, sometimes they do. I mean, sometimes they just do some ridiculous things. The, uh, one of the things that, um, yeah, my phone just heard me say Google and it's ready for me to do something. <laughs> no, don't need it to do nothing right now. But, um, I, for the longest time it would do this to me whenever I'm going from here to uh, the turnpike. And I'm, I would go down from my house, I would head on down 309, and for some reason it would always tell me to turn off on 309 onto 202. You saw what I did it do for you too? Turn off on 202, take 202 all the way out to 63, and take 63 back to 309. <laughs> now the first time I did it, I'm thinking, alright, there must be a traffic tie-up <laughs> along 309, and it's diverting me around, glory to God. <laughs> but after the second time I did it, I said, now hold on a minute. And so I just went my own way. I said, I'm going this way. And uh, there was no traffic tie-up. And so the next time I did it too, I said, you're not taking me over this. It's ridiculous to go all the way out of this, this, this kind of a way. So sometimes, you know, they're, they're a little... It doesn't quite always work the way that it should. It does still help that you have some understanding of which way that you want to go. So um, they're just talking to each other. Which way should we go? And... Uh, they each had an opinion. They said, well, you know what, let's go eat them. Now, you read this story, and you're not really presented with the options that they had. They have basically two options to get there from where they are joined up here. They can either go across the Jordan River, which is the direct way, or they can take the scenic route. Now, the scenic route is down in the Edom. So it's going all the way south, going down in the Edom area, and then coming up from the other side. And you would do that if you want to catch them by surprise. And you don't want them to see you coming. Because if you come across the Jordan River, they're going to see you. That's uh, Somebody's going to spot it and say, hey, we've got a big army coming across the river. And you know, that'll probably you know, get some people uh, uh, alerted. right? Yeah. They don't have satellites to watch over all this stuff. So, But you can see across the river and see a bunch of people are coming. That's not hard. But they ask each other. So they pick the way to go down, which is down towards Edom. Now you've got a huge army and all the, you gotta bring your own livestock when you go on a, on a long trip with an army because you can't all take them over to McDonald's or Chick-fil-A and you know, get, get them some food. That's just not gonna happen. You gotta have the food with you. So you gotta take sheep and, and whatever it is that you're gonna cook up and then you know, they're all alive. They, they walk better that way. <laughs> Cause you want them walking. You don't wanna be carrying these things. And, um, you let them, you let them walk and, you know, the meat stays fresh and, and good. And then when you're ready for them, you kill them and you eat them. That's just how they, they did it. That's how they did the armies there. So they're bringing all this livestock, all these people. Now, if you're going to bring all that stuff, you've got to have some food to feed the livestock. And then you've got to have some water to get the, the livestock some, some water. Plus, the men need water. And it took them seven days to go all the way down south and come all the way back on up. That's seven days instead of just going across the river. And so when they came to the spot, there's no water. It's dry, dry as a bone. No water. 
and the animals are thirsty. And if your animals are dying, you can't feed your army. You got to keep them animals alive. And if the, you don't have enough water for the animals, you surely don't have enough water for the men. And they need water. So they didn't plan this thing out very well. We went on a seven day trip with a day's worth of supplies. And then they get there and they're surprised. So they picked a way that was low on resources and they didn't plan to overcome the problems. Now see, if you're going to go on a trip, you've got to plan to overcome the problems, don't you? If you're going on a trip and you're going through a state, going through a multiple states, and you know that some state has a high price for gasoline. I don't know what state it would be, you just pick a state and they got a high price for gasoline. Well, you want to find a way to get around buying gas in that state. You make plans for it. You do, you do things that you need to, that you need to do. If you want to stop and buy water for three dollars a bottle at the gas station, then you got to bring, you know, water on your own. And you can do that. But after the seven days, they probably ran out of water some days before and have been going on trying to find some water, hoping that they find some water along the way. In verse 10 again, and the kings of Israel said, this is the, this is the king who's not so good. Alas, for the Lord has called these three kings together to deliver them into the hand of Moab. Now understand this, God didn't commission them. God didn't call them together and says, guys, I have a mission for you. God didn't advise them. They never asked God's advice. God, should we go down south? Should we go across the Jordan? He never asked God's advice. They didn't ask God for God's direction. Should we even do this at all? So they don't ask for God's direction. They don't ask for God's advice. And they don't have God's commission on this thing at all. And yet it's God's fault they're in this situation. How is that possible? Have you ever had people try and blame you for something? But they never asked you if you should do it, they should do it? They never asked you your advice on how you would do it? But when it went bad, they blamed you for it. And if they do that, I'm sure I know your response. I got nothing to do with that. You did that on your own. I'm sure God is thinking that. And you did this on your own. Verse 11. But Jehoshaphat said, Is there no prophet? Well, did we? Yeah. Is there no prophet of the Lord here that we may inquire of the Lord by him? So one of the servants of the king of Israel answered and said, Elisha, the son of Shaphat is here who poured water on the hands of Elijah. Jehoshaphat saying, ah, I know Elijah. All right, if he was working with Elijah, he's a good guy. And Jehoshaphat said, the word of the Lord is with him. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat and the king of Edom went down to him. Oh, I forgot to mention that to you. One of the reasons also that they would have probably gone down through Edom is not just to get this by surprise, but Edom was still conquered by by um, Israel and Judah. They still were subservient to them. So when they come on through there, they're probably planning on picking up some, some troops from Edom, which they wouldn't have done if they would have come straight across the Jordan. And if you pick up more troops, you feel better about the battle. Especially when God hasn't told you to go. So, these three kings get involved and they, they head on down. So the king of Israel, Jehoshaphat, and the king of Edom went down to him 
Then Elisha said to the king of Israel, What have I to do with you? Now, he doesn't say this to the king of Judah. He doesn't say this to the king of Edom. Edom doesn't serve Jehovah. But the king of Israel is supposedly serving God, the God of Israel, but they do it their own way. Have you ever had Christians who serve God their own way? Well, I have my own faith. Yeah, how's that going to come for you? I got my own faith. You know, I just believe what I want to believe. And so that was the king of Israel. That was the king of the north. Well, we don't like the Passover feast, so we're going to make up our own. And we don't like the feast of trumpets. So, and we don't like what you have to do with the feast of trumpets. And we don't like all that blood around the, the lamb for the Passover. That's, that's kind of gross. So we're going to make up our own feast and we're going to celebrate our own way. And we're going to do it with whom we want to do it. Whenever we want to do it. God didn't have a whole lot of uh, respect for that. And here you see this. Even though he put out some of the false gods that they were worshiping. He's not worshiping God the way they, they were told to worship God. So he says to him, what have I to do with you? Now that's not a good start. If you go to see the prophet and you want to get some advice and the prophet starts off by saying, what have I to do with you? That's not a good start. You know, it's kind of like if you went over to one of your relatives' house knocked on the door and they opened the door and said, what have I to do with you? You know, this is probably not going well. <laughs> Go to the prophets of your father and the prophets of your mother. See, there were two different sets of prophets. Ahab had his sets of prophets and Jezebel had her sets of prophets. So that's why he's saying it this way. You go back a few chapters in Kings and you'll see that. But the king of Israel said to him, no, for the Lord has called these three kings together to deliver them into the hand of Moab. So, we developed our own understanding of the situation. Our understanding is, God didn't tell us to come here. God didn't tell us how to get here. We didn't plan it out so well. We didn't bring enough water. Um, and But we're all here. And since we're all here, God did it. And God did it. God wants to deliver us into the hand of Moab. So, we've come to the prophet of God so that you can tell us something different. But he's already got his doctrine down. His doctrine is God wants to destroy us. God wants to deliver us into the hand of Moab. If that's the case, why are you going to God? I don't, I don't understand. No, for the Lord has called these three kings together to deliver them into the hand of Moab. Hmm. Now everything they've done so far has been on the flesh. But the flesh ran out of stuff. So they had to go another way. And that's Elisha. See, we do this a lot of times too. We, we go after a situation and we throw everything at it physically that we can. We throw everything at it in our, in our flesh that we can. And then when it's all done and we got nothing left, we go before God and says, God, I've done everything I know to do and it's not working. And now we look for our spiritual solution. Now they face a problem that demands a spiritual solution. They understand we are stuck in a situation here. We probably shouldn't have been out here at all. But we're here, and we got the whole army, we got no water, and we're gonna lose the entire army. They're all gonna die if we don't get a solution. Now, if you lose your whole army, now other nations, instead of just not paying you uh, money, they're gonna come after you, take your stuff. Verse 14. 
And Elisha said, As the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand, surely were it not that I regard the presence of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, I would not look at you nor see you. Now understand this. God is saying, if it wasn't that Jehoshaphat was here, I wouldn't even look at the rest of you two. I would not even be in this thing. I'd let you guys just wallow around. You haven't gone after me. But because Jehoshaphat is here, I showed up. Now, what's that? What makes you think uh, about Jehoshaphat? Now, you might look at it and say, "Wow, he must really be something. He must really write." Have you ever? Um, I, I never did this, but you know, I, I knew people who did this, who uh, they got into trouble. They were out with friends and they got in trouble. You know, they were out drinking, they were out partying, doing something, and they ended up over at the police station. Again, I never, I never did that. But um, I knew I knew some people who who had done that, and they ended up at the police station, and so they call mom and dad, and so mom and dad come over, and they come get them and the friends, and they take them home. Now, how many of you all know that mom or dad, dad, whoever came down, they aren't there because of the friends. They're there for one reason: they get their son or their daughter out of trouble. And we'll take the friends along because if it wasn't for this person here, my son or my daughter, I wouldn't even be in here. But because I have, uh, because this one rates a little higher in my life than you all, I'm here. But how many of y'all know that son or that daughter is not in good standing right now with mom and dad? He's not showing up because of the overwhelming love that he feels at that moment. And as far as the uh, the friends that are there with them, we may be taking you in our car, but I am not happy. Most times we're going to be thinking, you probably did this. You probably pulled my son or my daughter into this whole mess in the begin with. <laughs> I don't know if they ever did that, but what if that friend was on the way home? Would you please not tell our parents? What do you think that, that mom or dad's going to say? Oh, you wait until I tell them the story. I'm telling them the whole thing. I'm going in there. I'm knocking on the door. I'm pulling them out of bed. And I'm going to make sure that they hear the whole story. They're going to get it all. Yeah, Because you're not feeling anything for them. Well, see, that's the situation that God's in. God is like a father to us. And one of his kids is in a place he's not supposed to be and got himself in trouble. And God's there. And the two friends come along. And God says... I have no regard for you two. I'm only here because of him. And I'm sure, this probably wasn't in scripture, <laughs> but I, I'm sure God would be saying something like this to Jehoshaphat, wait till I get you home. <laughs> Can't you just hear that? <laughs> wait, wait till I get you home. <laughs> we're we're going to have some words. Mm. As the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand, surely were it not that I regard the presence of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, I would not look at you nor see you. Now he regards the presence of Jehoshaphat. He's not too happy with his judgment right now. Not so glad about the choices that he's made. But verse 15. Now if you're on a worship team, you have to, this is probably one of those verses you put up on the refrigerator. But now bring me a musician. And then it happened when the musician played that the hand of the Lord came upon him. (laughs) 
Now, if the musician had no role in this, he wouldn't have called for one. But he called for a musician. He said, I want somebody here to play some worship song. Now, some of that may be because there's so much doubt and unbelief and all these guys are around, we need to just drive that stuff out of here. Let's just get to the presence of God here. So he does that. And that's something that musicians can do. He didn't just call anybody. He played somebody who knew how to play the music, play a musical instrument. You know, I may know what a musical instrument looks like, but I sure can't play it. He wouldn't have called me. Then he said, Thus says the Lord, Make this valley full of ditches. For thus says the Lord, You shall not see wind, nor shall you see rain, yet the valley shall be filled with water, so that your cattle and your animals may drink. And this is a simple matter in the sight of the Lord. He will also deliver the Moabites into your hand. Also you shall attack every fortified city, every choice city, and shall cut down every good tree, and stop up every spring of water, and ruin every good piece of land with stones. Now, don't read over this too quickly because you're gonna, you, you can sometimes read over this so fast we just think, alright, make this valley full of ditches. We are talking to a bunch of people who have been going on for at least a day or two without any water to where the situation is critical. They need water. And you're gonna tell a thirsty guy, go dig a ditch. How many have ever dig, dug ditches? Anybody dug ditches? That's not fun work. It's not fun work when you're all tanked up with water and food. When it's, it's not fun work ever. Digging ditches. I don't like digging ditches. There's nothing good about digging ditches. But he said, that's what you're going to do. Make this valley full of ditches. For thus says the Lord, you shall not see wind, nor shall you see rain, yet the valley shall be filled with water, so that you... Your cattle and your animals may drink. See, they needed water for them, the cattle, the rest of the animals. They needed water for everything. There's no water for any of them. And they came to this spot in the valley and the valley's dry. But he said, you're not going to see wind. You're not going to see rain. Now, if you're, you're here and the God's telling you to dig some ditches. How many think some rain's coming? He's saying, there's no rain coming. I'm not going to send any rain. Not going to send any wind, but I want you to dig the ditches. And then tomorrow, you're going to see these ditches are full of water. Now, understand, you're thirsty. The prophet of God has just said, go dig ditches. Understand, his reception to you has not been all that good. But you're going to believe him. And go out there and dig some ditches. But you don't know how the water is going to come into the ditches. How many of you want a, want a little bit of an explanation of how that water is going to get in there? I mean, if we're going to go out there and dig the ditches, I want to know where the water's coming from. This is, that's going to be a lot of work. And I'm going to be thirstier after I dig the ditch than before. How many of you ever dug ditches? You know how thirsty it makes you. It gets you thirsty. And if we're talking about a dry area here, it's probably the temperature is not cold either. So you're going to be sweating a lot when you're digging those ditches, which means you lose more water. But the water's not coming tonight. The water's coming tomorrow. This is, this is not a thrilling word. 
You shall not see wind, nor shall you see rain, yet the valley shall be filled with water, so that you, your cattle, and your animals may drink. This is a simple matter in the sight of the Lord. He will also deliver the Moabites into your hand. So he said, beside that, you came here about the water. Beside that, I'm also going to tell you we're going to deliver the Moabites into your hand. Now here's, here's the next part. You shall attack every fortified city and every choice city, shall cut down every good tree, stop up every spring of water, and ruin every good piece of land with stones. As I read up on some of these things, some people think that this he is predicting, not telling them what to do. He's saying them what they are going to do. But there's also a case that can be made that he's telling them what to do. What's interesting is over in the book of Deuteronomy, there's a particular scripture that says that when you lay siege to a city, don't cut down the fruit trees. It actually comes out and says that. He says, don't do that. He says, when you lay siege against a city, those fruit trees are there for your food. Don't cut down those trees to build the siege wall against the city. That's specifically put in the law that when they went after a city, not to, uh, not to do that. That's it. If you want to write it down, it's in Deuteronomy chapter 20 and verse 19. And this is what it says. When you besiege a city for a long time while making war against it to take it, you shall not destroy its trees by wood and an axe against them if you can eat of them. Do not cut down to use in the siege for the tree of the field is man's food. He says you should eat those, the fruit from that tree. Not cut it down and put it into the, into the thing. But here he's telling them, you shall attack every fortified city and every choice city and you shall cut down every good tree and stop up every spring of water and ruin every good piece of land with stones. Now I think it's more that he's pronouncing a judgment on them because the verse in Deuteronomy is when they laid siege against the city for a long time. We're not looking at a long time here. They're going through here in a short period of time. They're doing all this damage. Now he says this is a small thing, but he's also this uh, doing the water. It's a small thing, but I'm also going to throw in their Moab. I'm just going to do that for you. See, your gods, this would be a big thing for. Speaking to the uh, king of Edom and the king of Israel, your gods, this would be huge. They couldn't even do this. But me, small thing. Piece of cake. So even though the valley is dry, this is what God is doing. God is calling for them to act in a way now that will have benefit when the conditions change. Because these conditions are going to change. In the future, these conditions are going to change. I need you to act in a way now that will have benefit when the conditions change. But when the conditions change, you will not be able to do what I'm telling you to do now. Here's the thing about this story. You can only do what God is saying to do now. Today, this is it. If whatever ditches you dig today, this is all the ditches you're going to have. You won't be able to dig more ditches tomorrow. See, because this is how the water got filled. Let's, let's go on through that. We'll, we'll read it in Scripture. Now it happened in the morning when the grain offering was offered that suddenly water came by way of Edom and the land was filled with water. Now we look at that and we say, what a supernatural thing. God just produced some water and just poured it out into the valley and it came rushing on through and filled up all those ditches. And as the water just kept on going, see, that water came rushing on through. 
And then it, it kept on going. Wherever it was going, it kept on going. But when they had the ditches dug, the water that was that covered the ditches, it stayed in the area where the ditch was dug. It didn't run off. In this particular area, what would happen is there would be rain in the mountains. And when the rain would fall in the mountains, it would fall heavy. And this water, it would happen. I don't know how often it would happen, but it would happen. This water would build up and it would come rushing down into the valley and then just keep on going. So this is what would happen in this in this particular area. What God has done is even more miraculous than it looks like here. Because in order for this to happen, the rain would have had to have fallen days before it actually comes running down into the valley. It doesn't happen that the water falls and in an hour or two it comes rushing down into the valley. It takes for a while to come down from where the rain fell to where it's going to come rushing through here. So before they even came to God, He had already put the the answer in place. It was already in place. The rain had already fallen. The rain, the water was already coming down. They just didn't know it. There's no way for them to tell. Plus, they don't live around this area, and uh, they they wouldn't have have known it otherwise. But God says, dig the ditches. So they dug the ditches. I don't know why we're digging ditches. Why we're digging ditches? I don't know why we're digging ditches. God said to dig ditches. We're not digging, these aren't very deep. We're not going to hit water going down just like this. We're not supposed to go dig. We're supposed to just dig some ditches. So they dug some ditches. And the next day, here comes this water. And it filled up the, the places that were there. So God had started this. Uh, you know, if it took two or three days, they're on their trip already. But God already says, you see the nun nuts down there? There's nincompoops. They decided to go the long way and didn't bring enough water. I don't know what they're thinking they're going to do for water out here. But uh tell you what, they're eventually going to come and ask us something to do. So let's, uh, let's put something in, in motion. <laughs> they put something in motion. So that rain was falling at the time that it needed to fall. And they had time to dig ditches. Because that water comes rushing on through. You can't go out there and dig ditches. That water's coming through too fast. It'll take you away. It'll undo all the work that you're trying to do. you got to dig it while it's, while it's dry. So they did that. And then here they come. And when he, he uh, told them to do this, it's going back to that, that verse from Elisha. Thus says the Lord, make this valley full of ditches. That means don't dig one or two. Right? I want this thing filled with ditches. I want a ditch here and a ditch here and a ditch here. and a di- I want them all over the place. Make this thing full of them. Now, they could go out there and they just, you know, well, I don't know. I think two or three is fine. And if they would have done that, it wouldn't have worked the way God said. See, what God is calling right now is while this valley is dry and there's no water, God is calling this dry valley full of water. And he says, I'm calling this valley full of water. It's dry right now. This is its present condition. But that present condition is temporary. It's going to change. I see the change. I've called for the change. You need to get ready for the change. Because what you're seeing here is not permanent. It's temporary. And he's called for the change. He called this valley full, filled with water. But it's dry. But God called it full of water. 
They'll make some ditches to hold the water. So they did that. But then it has an extra, an extra benefit here. In verse 21. And when all the Moabites heard that the kings had come up to fight against them, so apparently the surprise was, was gone, if that was their intention for going up through the south. All who were able to bear arms and older were gathered, and they stood at the border. So they got everybody. If you could pick up a sword, you qualified. That's all they had to do. They didn't have to do all kinds of tests, make sure your heart was okay, make sure your blood pressure was where it should be. They didn't care about any of that. All they cared, can you pick that sword up? And if you could pick that sword up, if you could bear arms, then you're, you're brought in. So you have no training. We got people that have no training for war at all. They're green. You ever watch any of those war movies when they have those newbies? The rookies are the first time, their first tour of duty, they're out there. And uh, the guys that are old salts that have been around there, they're trying to tell them how to not get their head blown off. How to, how to do things, how to be smart. You got all these rookies out there. They don't know what's going on. They stood at the border. Then they rose up early in the morning and the sun was shining on the water. So that water's not supposed to be there. That water's, that valley's supposed to be dry. They don't know that they dug ditches and that water came on through and filled up all those ditches with, with water. And the sun was shining on the water and the Moabites saw the water on the other side as red as blood. Now they saw the water reflecting, but it didn't look like water, it looked like blood. And they said, this is the blood. The kings have surely struck swords and have killed one another. Now therefore, Moab to the spoil. So they saw the king of Israel and the king of Judah and the king of Edom all coming together and they had an argument. And they fought with each other. And they start killing each other and what they're seeing down there is just a bunch of blood in the valley. Let's go down there and take their stuff. And so, they go running on down. They're going to the spoil. Verse 24, So when they came to the camp of Israel, Israel rose up and attacked the Moabites so that they fled before them. And they entered their land killing the Moabites. Now you see, when you go down into battle, you go down into battle ready for battle. But when you go down into the valley to plunder... Stuff that's just laying around there, you don't go down the same way. You don't go down prepared for battle with a sword and a shield and, and all your armor on. No, we're just going down there to pick up stuff. So they don't come down prepared to fight. They come down, down to pick up stuff. And Israel says, oh, here they are. We're ready to fight. <laughs> and they start, start slaughtering them, killing them. So when they, well, we, verse 25, then they destroyed the cities and each man threw a stone on every good piece of land and filled it. And they stopped up all the springs of water and cut down all the good trees. But they left the stones of Ker, Hareseth, intact. However, the slingers surrounded it and attacked it. And when the king of Moab saw that the battle was too fierce for him, he took with him 700 men who drew swords to break through to the king of Edom. But they could not. Then he took his eldest son who would have reigned in his place and offered him as a burnt offering upon the wall. And there was a great indignation against Israel, so they departed from him and returned to their own land. Now, I'm sure there's a whole lot more to that story in verse 27 than what we're reading. But what we got in there is that the king took his own son and made a very public sacrificing him and burning him to the gods. And Israel saw that and got so grossed out and disgusted by what was going on that they decided to pack up and leave. 
and Moab wasn't completely wiped out. So they lived to fight another day. They were certainly greatly hurt, but that's not what God told them to do. Now, even though Judah is in a place they should not be, God still helped them. Have you ever been in a place you're not supposed to be? You got there and you said, oh, God, I'm not supposed to be here. I realized that. And uh, the devil's always on our on our case telling us, you're where you're not supposed to be. God is going to let you die. <laughs> you go back to this story right here and just find out that none of them are supposed to be there. And God still showed up. In fact, God showed up a few days before to get the rain to fall. So it was all in, all in place, ready to go. Then brought them into a place of obedience where they would dig the, the ditches to hold the water when it came on by. And as long as they obeyed and did the things that God said to do, at that time, they were delivered. But if they chose to disobey again, well, it wouldn't have worked. But what, what provided them water also gave them the deliverance from the battle. Because Moab saw it as, as blood. They misinterpreted what was going on. Be careful about misinterpreting things. Because sometimes, folks, the devil has told you some things that are going on in situations at work, in situations with family, in situations in your neighborhood, in situations with your brothers and sisters in Christ. He's told you some things and led you to insinuate something wrong. So you've gone into that situation unprepared, expecting something that wasn't. And when you got there, we're surprised. Don't do that. Always seek after God. See, if Moab was serving God, they would have said, God, should we go down there and collect the spoil? And God would say, leave them alone. And they wouldn't have gone down there that way. But they didn't do that. Because they didn't serve God. Now, you can write as much of this down as you want to, but when God speaks to your spirit, giving you something to do, do you see the excuses of why you cannot Do you see, God speaks to you in your spirit and He says, this is what I want you to do. Do you see the excuses of why you cannot? I can't do that. Or do you not see the, your empty ditches being filled? How many of you know when they all went to bed that night, the enemies whispered in their ears, there's not going to be any rain. There's no way those things are being filled with water. If there's no rain, God's even said there's not going to be any rain. Why are you expecting them to be filled with water? All night long, he's going to be telling them some things. Do you see the excuses of why you cannot? God has told you to do something. Steve, I want you to do this. I can't do that. Have you ever told that to God? God has given you a solution. How you, you go on to God. God, how do I get out of this situation? We have no water for the army. How do I get out of this situation? God says, go dig ditches. Well, I don't see how that's going to work. You don't think that's going to change our situation? I mean, really, what do you want me to do? I want you to go dig ditches. Come on, God, really. What do you want me to do to, to, to solve this problem? But you see, if you ask God what to do and God tells you and you say, that won't work, God said, all right. What's God telling you to do about your situation? Now, God is probably going to tell you to do something that you don't like to do. How many of you know when you're thirsty, you don't want to dig ditches? 
It's not how you want to prepare for battle. Digging ditches. And you can make a case and argue with God. But when God speaks to you, to your spirit, giving you something to do, do you see excuses why you can't do it? Is that what you think on? Is that what you meditate on? Do you constantly see your, your ditches being empty? We gotta get out of that spot. When God speaks to me and says dig ditches, I gotta be digging those ditches that I see these ditches full. Right now, they're empty. See, that's my present, but my present is temporary. I'm digging ditches. Why are you digging ditches? Because these are gonna be full of water tomorrow. Why do you believe that? Because God said it. <laughs> Why do you believe what God said? Because when God has spoken things to me in the past, they've come about. See, my past is helping me now. Digging ditches. Digging. There's no water in there. They're not even, you're not even hitting any water. Didn't say I hit water. Said I'd dig ditches. God said tomorrow morning these are going to be filled with water. How's God going to fill them with water? That's not my problem. God didn't tell me to fill the ditch. He told me to dig it. <laughs> See, I'm trying to get in all the other stuff. When God tells you to do something, do what he said to do. Just do what he said to do. Don't go changing it. Don't do something else. If he said dig it full of ditches, wait a minute, there's a spot of, we can, we could dig a ditch right there. We still got a spot right over there. We haven't dug a ditch. Let's go over there and dig a ditch. Let's make this whole thing full of ditches. Don't you think we have enough? Is it full? Not yet. We don't have enough. And you go out there and you do more. See, that's the kind of obedience he wants to see. And even though these people who one nation doesn't even serve God, the other one serves them in a wrong way, and the other one is where he shouldn't be and keeps making bad alliances, even though prophets keep coming and telling him, don't make these alliances. If you go through Scripture and you see all the times that Jehoshaphat made alliances with unsaved kings and lost stuff. He made a, an alliance with another king of Israel and they built boats. They built a, a fleet of boats to go down and do some trading. And on their first journey, they all sank. What's God say? Don't get in line. Don't get in partnership with the king of Israel. Don't do it. But he kept doing it. He kept losing stuff. When God speaks to your spirit, giving you something to do, get out there and do it. Put everything into it. I've heard some of you talk before, you know, you, God told me to change my diet. Then make sure you change your diet. Well, it's not easy for me to do today. I don't care if it is easy for you to do today. You, you do it. <laughs> if God told you to do something on the exercise part, go out there and do something on the exercise part. Get out there and to, and to do that. Because whatever it is that He told you to do, you got to do what He said to do. You can't change it to your own liking. I give you stories about that and how it's happened in my life. But we're running out of time here. God gave you something to do. Do it. I don't care how ridiculous it seems. If He told you to do it, it will help. And you got to put everything into it just like these guys did with the ditches. When we, are, when we allow the views of Satan's kingdom into our minds and beliefs, we taint how we hear what God would say to us. We taint it. Don't, don't be doing it. Jehoshaphat kept bringing in these ungodly people around and it would taint the way that he was hearing the things from God so that he would keep getting in line and doing things with ungodly kings. Don't do it. We were at the, 
uh, the, the funeral for uh, Vanessa's mom, Alba. And uh, we were back there and talking with some of the other ministers, and Daryl came walking on by there at the end, and we were all talking, and the, the, the one minister's back there, he says, I don't know, you know how he got on it, but he was over there, and he said, don't bring the news people into your house. Don't listen to them. And Daryl's back there, and says, yep, yep, we heard that too, we know. <laughs> I'm not the only one who tells people, get them out of your house. You see, because when you hear stuff from them, it taints how you're going to hear the things of God. Just get them out. Just don't, don't listen to them. Don't allow those, those views of Satan's kingdom. Don't let them in your mind. Don't let them in your beliefs. Keep them out. It's going to taint how you hear the things of God and how quickly you'll obey the things of God. Obey what God tells you to do. When God says, I want you to walk. We're out, we're out to the, the, uh, Brother Copeland conference. And as we were out there in the morning, uh, Brother Jerry Savelle came on by. And he was, he was walking on by. He says, I, he was, he told us, he said, I'm going out for my morning walk. He says, I, I go out there and he walks every morning. And I said, well, glory to God for that. I said, I'm not much for walking. I like running. And so he said, he said, I used to like to do that. <laughs> he says, he just said, I walk now. But that's, that's something that he had to do. God told him to do it. And when he shared some of his other story later on that night, I understood more why he was, God had told him to, to do some, some of those things. So he's out there. He's out there. Well, that was a cold morning on that one. He got his long coat on. He had his hat on. He is all ready to go. And he, he's out there walking. Well, when God tells you to do something, you do it. We have to go after it with the same ferocity that they dug ditches. Now, see, they didn't fill that valley with ditches and the Moabites look down, they see a little puddle. They didn't see a little puddle. Because they were obedient. And do you notice that even though they were disobedient on so many other things, their obedience on this one matter opened the door for God to do all this? Isn't that amazing? There is nothing that says, God, I repent of my past disobedience than obeying what he said to do today. Nothing will testify of your willingness than that. Be ready to do it. See, God called this valley full of water. The present condition, there's not, it is not full of water. It is empty. It is dry. But God called it, even though it wasn't yet, He called this dry valley full of water. That's the practice. That's how God did it. You do not have to deny that the valley is dry. I don't have to go out to the valley and say, this valley is not dry. I don't have to do that. Nobody went out there to deny that the valley was dry. They just prepared a dry valley to receive water. When you get into past, present, and future of faith, you don't ever have to deny what your situation is about. You don't have to go to people and say, oh, I don't want to say that I'm still sick. I don't want to say that I still am feeling this thing. I don't, you don't have to mess with any of that at all. All you got to do is you look to what God has said. That's what God has said. God has called my valley full of water. And I have made preparations to catch that water. My valley might be dry right now. But my God has sent me water. 
Don't ever feel like you have to deny what's going on. There's not a single situation where people had to deny what was happening to realize what would become. Would you all stand up with me? Father, each one of us here, we have situations in our present that we are looking to change. Situations that we've done all that we know to do, but it hasn't changed. And maybe we're in a situation that we're in because of something stupid we did or some disobedience we got into. But Father, it doesn't matter. We're in the situation. I thank you that just like in this story, even though we were and we're not supposed to be, they could go to the prophet of God. And because of his regard for Jehoshaphat, who made plenty of mistakes, but still loved God, served and worshipped him. Because I have regard for Jehoshaphat, he developed a plan in a way that would benefit all the people because it would benefit his man and his army. Father, no matter what situation we are in right now, you know where we are. You even know the mistakes we made that brought us here. Your concern is not on all the mistakes. Your concern is to take us in a good direction in the future. Our past is for us to learn from. Our present is what we are to change and our future is what we look to. So Father, I pray right now for each person here that you paint a picture of a valley full of water. Whatever it is that they need. They may be looking at a dry valley right now but you paint a picture for them of a valley filled with water. And tell them the preparations that they need to make to catch that water when it's coming by. For that water that comes on by won't do us any good unless we can access it. And Father, you're going to show them how to access it. Through their obedience, seeking after you and listening to what it is that you say, you will help us overcome any problem that we face any health condition, any financial condition, any emotional condition, situations with friends, family, neighbors, whatever the situation is, something going on at work, something going on with investments, something going on with enemies that are rising up against us. It makes no difference. There is a way that you have to set us free. We give you the praise and the glory forward here. Oh, thank you, Lord. Glory to God. Can we just sing that song, dude, that you're doing?
surrender everything we have to you. The enemy will try and confuse, try and complicate things, try and make your plan seem so much different than what it is. We'll try and get us to add to it, take away from it, change it. Father, we just need to surrender everything we have to you. And when you tell us, dig ditches, we dig them. Doesn't matter how thirsty we are, how tired we are, we dig ditches. Every place we can find, we dig a ditch. Because the day's coming when we can't dig ditches. And we won't be ready for what's coming. I thank you, Father. For such encounters in the Word that we can learn from. We give you the praise and the glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Brother Victor. Thank you, Nikolai. I surrender all. I don't think we could have had anything any more apropos right there. You know, Pastor said, just do what God said to do. God said, have faith. God said, exercise your faith. Step out on your faith. You know, sometimes we say we have faith, but until we actually exercise our faith, do we really have it? I can trust this chair, but until I flop down in it, I don't have faith in it. Now's our time we usually give our praise reports. Just do what God says. God says that we are to offer the sacrifice of praise, which is the fruit of our lips. In other words, it's got to come out of here. We've got to say what God is doing for us, how he's moving in our lives, how he's blessing us, how great of a God he is. And I don't have any right here, but that's okay. I got some. All right. Pastor made mention of my mother-in-law's homegoing service, her celebration. And when you talk about praise, I praise God for a life of someone who followed him, who devoted her life to him, who at 91 years old went home to be with Jesus in glory. But the amazing thing was when you looked at the church, the church was pretty much full. Okay. And when you see a 91-year-old, because usually their contemporaries aren't there. They've gone home already. So she touched so many people in her life. Okay. And I praise God for her. And what she did. And it's funny because, you know, you have that mother-in-law thing going on. And she lived with us for, you know, a bunch of months. And sometimes we would. <laughs> but glory to God, we had those times when we just would sit down and we would talk about the goodness of God. And, and we talk about what's going on in this world and why it is like it is. And I know 
she knew where she was going. I knew I, that she didn't want to be where she was like she was. I had the opportunity to read the New Testament scripture from First Thessalonians. And it says, you know what? We're not like all the people in the world because we know what's going on. We're not like those who have no hope. When Pastor got up to give the prayer of comfort, he said, you know what? It's good to be around a bunch of believers that are gathered to celebrate. And I felt bad for those people who weren't believers and those who who were, you could see, were kind of glum and down and were kind of looking around at what was going on. And they didn't quite get it. They didn't understand You know, the Bible says weeping endures for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Funny thing, we didn't even see a whole lot of weeping going on. It was, what does it count at all joy? Okay, because it was a celebration. All right, now, it was a Baptist celebration, so we weren't dancing, we weren't jumping, we weren't quite shouting like, you know, maybe we might expect to do. But we were worshiping God and we were thanking him. And just one more thing for me. I praise God for each and every one of you guys here. And the support and the gifts of love and encouragement and just being there that you guys showed Vanessa and myself. You know, that's huge. That is huge. We are the body of Christ. So we are to come around each other at all times, especially when there's a need for us to reach out. Miss Ethel said this morning, as the body of Christ, just putting your arms around one another, just offering words that say, you know what, I'm here. Whatever you might want, whatever you think you want, whatever you don't even know you want, before you know it, we're here. And I want to thank you guys again. All right. Uh, Greet each other. Oh, men, real quick. Movie, I want to remind you about the movie 22nd, if I didn't talk to you. 